book of James, the fifth chapter. Today we're going to read verses 13 through 18. We will, we will not get past verse 13 today, but I want us to read the entirety of it, and, and you, you will notice as we read this, prayer is mentioned in every verse. In every one of these verses that we're going to read today, prayer in some form or fashion is mentioned. And so as we're coming near the end of this book of James, see how he closes it out. See what he talks about. So beginning in verse 13, James 5 from the New King James Version. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay, I'm reading, I'm reading from ESV, aren't I? Okay, you're, you're following along okay, all right. Yeah, I just now noticed that. I, I copied ESV. Uh, here, let, let me go up there and we'll, we'll, we'll read what you're looking at. That'd be better. Uh, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much because that's how, I, see, that's how I memorized it. <laughs> the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, help us this day. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now throughout, again, as we're coming closer to the end of this little book, and and that we would go back and remember that throughout this letter, James has reminded us, all throughout it, that the true Christian lives in a real world of trials and testing. Amen? And, And that these come for a godly purpose. And, and know this, and I'll go ahead and qualify this, and then you can apply it throughout the remainder of the sermon. Uh, sometimes suffering and trials and tribulations come because of sin. But, but even in our sin and disobedience, God will take those things and use them for His glory. Not that He is the author of them. You know, sin is our own. 
But we have such a gracious God that He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He will take those things and even use them for His glory. So trials and tests come from the Lord. Uh, we read that very early on. If, if we'd read uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I mean, the, this James hit hard <laughs> right out of the gate. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So trials and testing from the Lord come to produce patience and perseverance in the life of a believer and and to prove us, to correct us along our journey. Now, we, we've been in this book for quite some time. Have we learned that yet? Have I learned that yet? Do we believe that? That there's a purpose in trials and testing and and just in case we didn't get it James immediately added verse 5 after after we read that count it all joy look at verse 5 if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him see may we continually ask God for the wisdom to view life its trials and its testing with a proper attitude and the proper perspective. Knowing that God is molding us, He's perfecting us into the image of His Son, and that sometimes this molding and perfecting comes at the hand of trials and testing. And all that we would learn that, and that we would pray, Lord, give me the wisdom I need to understand that. And now we, we come to these latter verses of the book of James, and, and He's continuing with the same, uh, the same theme, uh, uh, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If anyone is suffering, let him pray. Let, you know, let, let him ask of God. What's the means by which we ask of God? Well, it's prayer. So, so it seems he started out talking about the importance of prayer. He's coming to the end of it. He's still talking about prayer and knowing all well that throughout the book he's talked about our tongue and the use of our tongue. And, and it seems to me <laughs> that, that a, a big use for our tongue should be to pray. To pray. In verses uh, 7 through, we're not going to read it, 7 through 12 in chapter 5, uh, James had, had called uh, his readers to patience and long-suffering while in the midst of unjust treatment and, and persecution. And, and after calling them to patient, patience, he, he then calls them to pray. So consider what was said, uh, we're, we're not going to go back and read it, but in verse 7 through 12, and, and now consider here he's asking them, in the midst of their trials, in the midst of the testing, in the midst of their suffering, to pray. And throughout verses 13 through 18 that we read, again, prayer mentioned in every verse from the individual praying, the elders praying, uh, the friends praying for one another, and an example of Elijah praying. So let's go back and focus in on that verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Suffering. The, the King James Version says afflicted. Is any uh, uh, afflicted? 
meaning trouble, calamity. It means suffering in difficult circumstances. And, and it's the same word that James used in chapter 5, verse 10, if we read that. Verse 10 says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And then he's talking of of the the prophets and and then he he mentions Elijah in in verse 17. So, So James uses the prophets as an example. Look to them. Look to them. And we know that Elijah faced it. Uh, much hostility at the hands of the wicked king Ahab and, and of his wife Jezebel. We, we understand that. Uh, j- just to mention a few that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and endured much opposition, uh, to, to the point many of you will remember the story, uh, as you've gone through and studied the book of Jeremiah of, uh, where people finally just got tired of hearing from him. And really, they got tired of hearing from the Lord. Is really, he was just the messenger. And and the the one part where remember where they took him and they lowered him down into a, a cistern, and and I want to just read one verse of that because it it, it sticks with me. It's in Jeremiah thirty eight verse six. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Well, you know, at least they didn't just toss him in there, right? So, so they let him down with ropes, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. And many believe this was a cistern that, okay, it used to have water in it, but now it was getting dried up, and now it's just kind of got a muddy bottom. There, there is no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire. Yeah. See, when I, when I read that, I, it, it, the thought come to me, have I, have you ever sank in the mire? Is it, has it ever been, seemed like you've just been tossed into the pit and you're sinking in the mire? <laughs> the mire of perhaps depression. The mire of affliction. The, the mire of suffering. See. Look to the prophets. Ezekiel. And we're not gonna, again, you can go back and you know these stories or you can read them in Ezekiel 24. He, he endured the death of his wife. Uh, Daniel, we know his story was taken from his homeland as a young boy and later thrown into a lion's den because of his faithfulness to God. Hosea endured a heartbreaking marriage. Uh, John the Baptist was imprisoned uh, for, for him proclaiming the, the coming of the Lord and, and he was later beheaded. My brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. That they endured. But because you can take that list, that little list, as just a partial, very partial list of some of the things that happened to some of the prophets, and you can almost plug yourself or some people you know into the very situations that they find them, they found themselves. So look to them as an example. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And I'll ask this question again. Child of God, have we learned to do that? In the midst of suffering, do we pray? 
And I know very well we could very flippantly come back and say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. When I'm in trouble, I pray. To which I'm going to ask rhetorically, well, do you? Do I? Do we really? Is that the first thing we do when we find ourselves facing affliction and trouble, pray to God? Is it the first thing we do? Because the book of James has been all about examination, hasn't it? And this is going to be no different. It was a call for me to examine myself, and it's a call for you to examine yourself. What is the reality of the first thing we do when we're faced with suffering or affliction? What if we were facing unjust imprisonment like Jeremiah or facing the loss of a loved one like Ezekiel or the heartache of infidelity within the marriage bonds like Hosea? When troubles come, what do we do? What do I do? In times of suffering. You see, because the, if I can say it this way, the, the natural response to the circumstance of suffering would be perhaps to be shocked, to be disappointed, depending on what the circumstance was, to, to be disheartened, to be depressed, to become angry, grumbling, complaining, engaging in self-pity, to to hunker down in a corner and say, well, man, no one else has ever faced anything like this. No one else. And just be poor, poor, pitiful me. See, let's be honest and examine ourselves. What do we do? What's the reality of what we do? Oh yeah, we can put on our Christian face and say, oh yeah, first thing I do is go to Lord in prayer. Perhaps some of these things would be natural responses, but listen, for the born-again believer, our response should be supernatural. See, understand that. Our response should not be natural. Our response needs to be supernatural. Because we have the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Our response by the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us would be to count it all joy and pray. But is that what I do? Is that what you do? See, when James began his letter with that striking statement, count it all joy, he is teaching and he's continued to teach his readers that an important characteristic of genuine faith is that it doesn't continually collapse when it's tested. And notice I said continually collapse, because I would almost guarantee you for every one of us, there's going to be a moment that we're going to slip and stumble and we're going to collapse. But may we... If that should happen, if that moment should happen, may the overwhelming truth of God's Word and the power of the Spirit in us convict us and lift us up that we could call on the name of the Lord. You see, those who have genuine faith will not shrink back to the point of being destroyed. In Hebrews 10, 39, and I'm reading this, from the ESV. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Of, of those who have faith. The, King, the, the 
the New King James are uh, of those who believe. You see, for the born-again believer, trials may become a source of joy when we respond to them in the way which God intends and in light of the fact that we understand that God has plans and purposes for trials. And I understand that this is, this is a lot, isn't it? If, if we'll take it in, if we'll truly examine ourselves, this is a load. And that we would all get real with ourselves. To, to examine ourselves in light of the reality of the things we do and the things we say and how we respond. So, so how do we get this point? How, how do we get to the, 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 the point of, of, of looking to the Lord and, and praying in, at the moment of suffering? Is anyone among you Suffering, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Uh, see, may we pray to our Heavenly Father. See, may we not forget that. It's Father. And I know for many, perhaps you have a image of a earthly father figure that's imperfect. But as best we can, let's try to get past that. And understand that, that for those who believe, those who are born again, we have a perfect Father, you see. And that we as His children can come to Him with a, a childlike trust and simply say, Father, I'm in trouble and I need help. And you can expand on that and go into perhaps particulars of situation, but it's going to come down to something perhaps as simple as that. Father, I'm in trouble. I need help. Let us pray, you see. But often when we're in the midst of trouble, I don't feel like praying. You ever there? You're just overwhelmed. I, I, I don't. I don't feel like praying. So, so what do we do then? Well, we could we could ask a brother or sister to pray for us. We don't have somebody readily available. We can do this: read somebody else's prayer, use somebody else's words or prayers, use the Psalms. You use the words of the Apostle Paul. Read from the multitude of prayers that are found within the pages of the Bible and then tune our hearts to the strength that others have found when facing difficult times. You see. We're going to read. We're going to read several. If you want to jot down the Scripture reference, you can go back and read more of these. I pray we can be attentive as we read. You see, I pray that we can. I would ask you to fight the good fight of faith, even as we, even as you look up on the screen and, and as you follow along. Because this is preparation, isn't it? This is, this is becoming equipped so that we're out 
on our own and out by ourselves, and and perhaps we get to that moment of I, I, I don't know what to pray. I can't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Go here. Go here. Uh, and I'm just going to pull out a few in, in Psalms three, verses three through six. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me from His holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept and woke, for the Lord sustained me. Do you get all that that's happening there? Someone that's in trouble, they cried out to the Lord, and then they were able to sleep. And I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Because we have the Lord. Look to Him. Call upon Him. Psalms 51. We're just going to stay in the book of Psalms. First three verses. Have mercy upon me, O God. See, perhaps there's a time we need to cry to Him and we need to pray a prayer such as this. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before you. And then verses 9 through 12. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous Spirit. We keep going in Psalm, Psalm 63, five verses. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Psalms 84 verses 10 through 12. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Better than a thousand elsewhere, you see. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is my sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Psalms 139, verse 7 verses. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Child of God, is there anywhere you can go to get away from His presence? No, there's not. He will never leave us nor forsake us. It is, it is high. I cannot attain such love. Verses 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We can't count our blessings. We sang that little song. We can't count them all. It's his thoughts toward us. How great is the sum of his thoughts toward his children. If you're able and you can, I want you to stand. If you can't, Psalms 23. Look up the screen. Read with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. You see, when we don't feel like praying or we don't know what to pray, go to the Word. Pray the Word of God. Read a prayer. Meditate on it. Put yourself in the verses. You see. Does this statement ring true? It is in the times that I feel least like praying that I need to pray the most. (laughs) It's in the times that I feel least like praying that I need to pray the most. And guess what? The devil knows that. He will tempt us to despair, to worry, to anxiety. He will tempt us to shrink back within ourselves, to turn from God and, and set our gaze solely upon the trial, the circumstance, whatever it is that is before us. But consider this. Because I would say that this is perhaps always true. We may say I don't feel like praying, but but I would venture to say that in times of trouble and suffering, we always have words to say. Think about that a minute. In times of trouble or suffering, we always have words to say. You see, it's not that we don't have words, but it's all about the content of those words 
and to who we are addressing those words. Do you, do you understand? As I would venture to say that we will always have words, but what are they? And who are they directed to and at? See, may the words be for help and, and may they be addressed to our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 4, 16. You know this verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In time of suffering, in time of distress, in time of affliction. I came across an, an, an old hymn. Uh, read the lyrics. I don't know the the melody or anything. It, it, it was by William Cowper who wrote many great old hymns. The title of it is What Various Hindrances We Meet. In talking of prayer, perhaps some of you know it. Uh, put, put the first set of verses up there. What various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat. Yet who that knows the worth of prayer but wishes to be often there? Prayer makes the darkened clouds withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw, gives exercise to faith and love, bring every blessing from above. Restraining prayer, we we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Now, do we always have words? Now, now look at this. Look at this. Have you no words? Think again. Words flow apace when you complain. And fill a fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. I keep your thought on that. In other words, you you can sit down and drag someone else down into distraction as they listen to you go on and on and on and on about all your troubles, and yet you haven't spent even a moment in prayer. You see that. Always words. Oh, you, you say you have no words? Think think again. Oh, think again. See, this, that's, what, that's what's hit me about all this, and I pray that it's hitting you too. Have you no words? I'll think again. Words flow apace when you complain and fill a fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Where half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent, our cheerful song would oftener be, hear what the Lord hath done for me. How much better, instead of dragging someone down into your pit, not, not to say to not ask someone to pray for you, that's not what this is saying. Of course, James has said that we pray for one another it's not asking, you know, it's not talking about, oh, pray for me, I'm just going through a tough time. And, and just share the amount that you believe the Lord would have you to share, and then you pray. 
You don't t- stay stuck in the talking about it. And the, the words flow when you complain. You see. But that we would pray and look to the Lord. <laughs> if half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent, our cheerful song would oftener be, isn't that good? Hear what the Lord hath done for me. Instead of grumbling and complaining and being stuck in the mire, we would do what the Word of God tells us to do and pray. How much more? See, this was written in the late 1700s. You can tell that, right? How much more oftener would it be from our lips, hear what the Lord hath done for me. See, Steve asks that question almost every Sunday he's up here. What's the Lord done for you this week? And even as that question is being asked from time to time, perhaps we're sitting there stuck in our complaining mode. Even as it's being asked, we're still stuck because we're not where we should be. You understand that? We've got nothing good to say because we haven't prayed at all. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Child of God, He cares for you. Never forget that. And what are we called to do? Cast our cares upon Him. How do we do that? We pray. We pray. We cast our cares upon Him. As a child of God, who do, who do we turn to? Who, who will listen? Who truly cares for us? Heavenly Father. Him. Cast all our cares upon Him. We pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's a short little... I'm going to ask you to do this. Think about the completeness of that statement. Are you suffering? Pray. Period. Did you see that? Period. Pray. Period. On the next subject. What do we do when we're suffering? We pray. Perhaps we would like it to read, as anyone among you suffering will let him pray and then all of your troubles will be over. Come on, James, we want a little more there. That's not what we get. That's not how it works. Perhaps sometimes and probably uh, probably the, the, not the... It's, it, it, sometimes we can pray and the Lord does a miracle and the trouble is over. Isn't that amazing? But I'm just going to, let's get real. Is that the norm? Probably not. Sometimes, yeah, pray. No, no, it's trouble. Pray. No more trouble, sometimes. Or perhaps more often than not, it's trouble. Pray. More trouble. And that's reality. Isn't it? And and that's reality. Because I want you to consider this. 
Now, now stay with me here. Now here's, here's something to chew on and to think about, child, child of God. How often do we pray just like an unbeliever? What do you mean? Well, the only time an unbeliever prays is to get exactly what they want, isn't it? They'll pray to a God they don't know or to a God they have made up into their mind. You see? Well, I, well I, God, I, I need this. I, I want this. And, and, and often it's just gimme, gimme, gimme. And then when they get no positive reply, then it's, well, just forget the whole thing. I ain't never doing that again. That was stupid of me in the first place. There's no God, and if there is a God, well, He doesn't care. He would have answered my prayer. I'm done with this praying thing. It doesn't work. Born again believer, is that, is that ever you? Is that ever me? See, because the Christian must learn to pray as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what I'm getting ready to say, don't you? Oh, yes, we pray and we bring our request to the Lord. We come boldly before the throne of grace. We make a request. Oh, Lord, this is, this is what I would like, but nevertheless, Lord, it's all about what you would like. It's all about your glory. It's all about your plans and your purposes. So, so Father, I make my request, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Because you are my Father, and I absolutely trust you. <laughs> See, if we have a right understanding of who God is, then that's why I'm looking forward to our study that's coming up sometime in January. The weight of majesty. To perhaps gain a better insight into who God is. Because if we've got a wrong vision, a wrong understanding of God, we've got it all wrong. You see. But if we have just a glimpse of Him and His goodness toward His children, we can have peace and comfort in the midst of very stressful times. To come to that point to say, I trust you, Father. I trust you. Because there's another point of examination. Do we trust Him? Do I trust Him? Do I trust Him with everything? Do, do, do I trust Him with my possessions, with my, my life, with my everything? Do I trust Him? Do I trust that He knows what He's doing? Do I trust that God is in control? And the answer to that will manifest itself, will become evident in our life by how we respond to trials and afflictions. If you want the true answer to that, and examine yourselves and see how you respond the next time troubling news, something comes into your path. Because right now we're, we're thinking back. Well, how did I respond when that happened? What did I do back then? Well, well here, now you got this kind of fresh and, and I'm almost going to guarantee that, that probably everybody in here is going to get a chance sometime in the next week or two that this is going to hit. 
And perhaps we're going to blurt out some stuff. Perhaps we're going to go into a sinkhole. And then I pray that the Lord will remind us of everything we've talked about right here. And remind me. So you, you thought you was really trusting me, huh? To pray, oh Father, oh, I would like to be delivered from this, this distress, from this pain, from this suffering. Will you deliver me? And then are we mature enough in our faith to receive an answer that may be no? Now you're listening? Now listen. That, that may be no, I won't deliver you, at least not immediately, but I will strengthen you. Because He'll do that, won't He? He'll do that. He'll strengthen us. He'll strengthen us. And even saying that, it's hard not to think of the Apostle Paul, isn't it? It's hard not to think of the thorn in the flesh. And I want us to go ahead and read it. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You know, that thorn in the flesh. The, the the Lord God had a plan and a purpose for this thorn in the flesh, and 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 we know it's to keep Paul humble, humble because of of the the glorious majesty of things that he had just seen, to keep him from being puffed up beyond measure. The the Lord allowed this to be there, verse nine. And he said to me, and the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) There is such great truth in that passage. Because when we think it's all me, It's all me. It's all me. I can get through this. I can do this. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else. And in saying that, we're saying we don't need the Lord either. But but when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize that our strength is not enough, that we need the Lord, to humble ourselves before His mighty hand, in due time He will lift us up. See, see, it's about coming to the reality of, of who God is and coming to the reality of the of our need for Him at all times, at all times, to humble ourselves, to be broken and contrite before Him, and then to say as the Apostle Paul, therefore I take pleasure, I count it all joy. You see, the Heavenly Father has plans and purposes for our suffering, for the testing of our faith. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And I don't know if I mentioned that. And this, the tense, the the Greek tense verb of this has the connotation of keep praying. Is anyone among you, let him keep praying. Is there ever a time that we don't need to pray? And perhaps in light of so many other scriptures that we know, keep praying and keep trusting. Keep trusting. We're going to keep going. We're going to finish this verse. 
back, back to verse 13, James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. King James Version says, is, is any merry? Let him, let him sing psalms. Are you merry? Not, not merry, merry, but merry, emmy, R-R-R-Y, which brings the, you know, the, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. You see? Because there's, there's a good lyric right there. Rest in God. Don't despair. Don't dismay. There, there's a good lyric there in the beginning of that, of that little Christmas song. Is anyone cheerful? Is any merry? And that this particular Greek word is only found here in James 5 and in Acts 27. Now I want us to go to Acts 27. And I'm just going to pull one verse out of there. Uh, many of you understand and know that, that this is the chapter where the Apostle Paul is one of his shipwrecks. Okay? And, and, and so, so here's the Apostle Paul. And they're out in the ship. They've been here. They've been there. They've been everywhere. And, and now they're going to make this journey. They're trying to make it to a destination before winter hits. And they probably should have stayed where they were at. But God had it under control. And so they're heading out. They're on a tempest sea. And, and, and Paul, and we understand why he can have such confidence in this. Because if you read that passage, we know an angel came and gave him word from the Lord. And so he's got confidence here in the midst of this, but look what he says. And he's telling these guys on the boat, and, and they're in the midst of a tempest sea. He says, and now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, do you understand what he just said? The ship's going down. But don't worry about it. Be of good cheer. Yeah, I think King James Version says that. Be of good cheer. I, I think I looked at that. Yeah, uh, King James says, as I exhort you to be of good cheer, the ship's going down, <laughs> but you're going to be okay. <laughs> but consider the testimony of that later as those guys probably huffed and puffed and strangled. We don't know how it all happened, but made it to shore. And then they count everybody, and what do you know? We're all here. How did Paul know that? So we're going to have a shipwreck, but be of good cheer. And perhaps that could be a reminder that, that the joy of the Lord can be known in both good times and bad, or what we perceive as good times and bad. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Okay. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Well, yeah, I do that. And I'm going to come right back and do what I did a while ago and say, do you really? Do I really? And I do pray that we're all thankful in the cheerful times and give praise to God. But there is an inherent danger. Now listen to me now. There's an inherent danger that we may just relax and forget God in the midst of the time of smooth sailing. Do you understand that? See, we should be just as challenged with the second part of verse 13 as we were with the first part. Is there one among you suffering? Let him pray. And I would venture to say we were all challenged as we really looked at that. And we should be just as challenged, if not more, with this next part. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Because you see, when happiness comes, when, when cheerfulness comes, when success is at our door, there is a very real danger that we may just fall asleep. 
And God understood that. Remember, let's go back into Deuteronomy 6. What did he tell them as they're getting ready to come into a land of plenty? Here, let's, let's read it. Because God understood that in good times, people have a tendency to forget God. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12, and this, is, this is the Lord. So, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which you swore to your fathers, and which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, uh, houses you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full, then beware. Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And take that, and child of God, may we apply that to our lives. Perhaps the Lord has brought us through a great triumph. Perhaps we have, have persevered through a great tribulation or trial. And, and now, it's blue skies. We've come out of the storm. The sea is calm. We're going along great. And there's, there's the part, beware. Lest in the calm time we forget the Lord. Because the, the temptation may come when everything is going well in our souls. You know, the devil may come and say, oh, man, everything's going great for you, isn't it? Man, you don't need to pray. Man, everything's going great. You don't need to read the Word. Uh, you, you don't need anything. Man, everything's going so good. Just sit back and relax. And we slip into a slumber. We forget God. and We don't pray. We don't sing praise. And just like in regard to praying, do we respond like an unbeliever in the midst of our cheerful times? Eat, drink, and be merry. Everything's going great. Or do we sing praise? Do we sing songs? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. And that, and that word there uh, translated as sing, that's from what we, where we get the the, the word psalm. Let him sing psalms, which gives direction to our adoration and singing. It's, it's not just let him sing. It's let him sing psalms, praises. Because, because the unbelieving world can sing during uh, cheerful times, can't they? You know, when, when the storm has, has passed by, uh, the world can sing. They wrote a lot of stuff, and a song came to my mind. This was a song back in the uh, 70s. It was released right after Barb and I graduated from high school. And it was been re-released throughout the years. And the world just ate this song up. The world did. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. I think I can make it now. The pain is gone. All of the bad feelings have disappeared. Here is the rainbow I've been praying for. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. See, the world ate that up. 
number one song in 1972. The, the tumultuous 60s were over. Nixon would sign a peace accord in January of 73, begin a pulling out. And I'm not trying to get political here. It's just the facts of what happened. So they, they were pulling out of Vietnam. And people latched onto this song. The world latched onto this song. And it became an anthem. Because they thought things were turning around. But little did they know without the Lord, it will never turn around. Well, you may find yourself in peacetime. Yeah. You may. But, but they were looking at at the dark clouds gone, they were looking at the end of the storm and they were seeing a rainbow and, and they were just happy about it. Sunshiny day. And that's natural. But I'm going to go back and say again, but child of God, let us look to the Father. And that's supernatural. Let our adoration and praise be to Him. Uh, James 1, verse 18. Let's read a couple more verses and then we'll close. Of His own will... Of God's own will, He brought us, child of God, He brought us forth, how? By the word of truth, that we may be a kind of first fruits of His creations. And, and this echoes First Peter 2, verse 9. You know this verse too. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Why? Why, why are we a chosen generation? Why have we been called? Why have we been brought forth by the word of the truth and been made a kind of first fruit? Why? Why? Well, it tells us there in First Peter that we, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I love that verse. That we would proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness. Is anyone... Cheerful as anyone, Mary, let him sing praise. And then I'm going to ask again, because again, this is all self-examination. Is that what I do? Is that what you do? When we're in smooth times, when, when, when perhaps uh, when the world's all as it should be, the sun shining down on me, do we say, blessed be your name? Or do we say nothing? We just sit back. See, that, that's what that's what this is. I believe a call to examine ourselves. What do we say? What do we say in troubling times? What do we say in the good times? Whatever we say and whatever we do, may it always be for the glory of God. Always. Whether we eat, what we drink, what we do, what we say, may it always be for His glory. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And there is a multitude of verses that talk of that. Psalms 145, first four verses. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In Psalms 96, first four verses. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. In 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 through 4. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So, so shall I be saved from my enemies. <laughs> That's a great passage right there. Second Samuel 22nd chapter. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. God is my strength. See, may we remember that regardless of the circumstance. I think that's what James is getting at. Regardless of whether it's distress and suffering or it's times of cheer and merriment. Regardless of which it is, may we remember God is God, you see. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, help us. Help help me, Lord. Help me to consider Your Word this morning. Help me to consider the verses. And help me, help us all, Lord, to be equipped for when the next testing comes. Perhaps that will come the next few minutes. We don't know. Lord, help us to be prepared. Help us to have a hunger and thirst for Your Word. Help us to have a desire to to commune with You, O Lord. To pray. To read Your Word. So, Father, help us all to, to hide Your Word in our heart that we may not sin. To hide Your Word in our heart that we may have have an equipment that that we can share with others to give a reason for the hope that we have. So, Father, I pray that You would draw us all close to You. Help us all that we may know You. Help us that we may know Christ of His death, His burial, His resurrection. We love You, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.